Good evening and welcome to the Queen City Improvement Bureau. I'm your host, Ron Gronkonson, and with me is my co-host, Salzor uh, Colgate, and we're here to uh, improve the city one meeting at a time. Won't you join us as we go on our journey of improvement? This meeting is now in session. What the what now? <laughs> Fooled you, didn't I? You thought you thought you were in a CBC two nightmare. <laughs> I did. It's, it's it's calming. I feel I feel like uh, I feel like if we wanted to, we could take our show and segue it into like a like a full on NPR style asthma show. I don't know. I I uh, how many episodes that just end in one or both of us. Uh, sort of deteriorating into just angry uh, shrieking about what's going on in the world. I don't know if that would uh, really play very well on public radio. Yeah, I think it would. Uh, I think that's what would happen. I think the the pitch and tone would would ramp up until by the end of the hour we were we were shouting for all we were worth yeah. and, and howling in despair. I think we should be on AM. Frankly, there's lots of there's lots of space on AM radio now. Right. That's. That's true. Those airwaves are wide open. Uh, yes, we could yes, spread out. We could like take up all the space we need on the AM airwaves. That's right. We would be the the man spread show. We would call ourselves. Yeah. But the joke would be on the listeners because all we would do is talk about city politics and what's to be done about that that terrible city council. And we'd cluck our tongues and clutch our pearls. Oh, I'll uh, tell you what's to be done about that terrible city council. Yeah, we could talk about it for five hours every morning. <laughs> Take calls. The lines are open. Oh, but if you do it Gormley style, if you're Gormley and you need to fill some space, you got to put in pauses like so. He went like, to the William Shatner School of Elocution, hey? A, a little bit. I realized I was starting to do like Shatner and I thought, what if John Gormley is just Shatner on Quaaludes? Maybe. Yeah. Have we ever seen them in the same room and doing Quaaludes at the same time? <laughs> no, we have not. For the best. That's not something I would want to be party to. Probably yeah. not. You probably don't want to be caught in that police roundup. No. It is a wonder that William Shatner didn't end up with his own like talk radio show on satellite radio. I know he could. I mean, he could do that if he wanted. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that would be. Yeah. I mean, the man, the man clearly in his other media products doesn't projects doesn't really seem to have a lot of general shame. Uh, yeah. I mean, he had that album, so and those tech yeah. books. So, I mean, dude will do anything. So why not talk radio or satellite yeah. radio? Yeah. 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 From the captain's chair. From the. <laughs> That's right. Maybe. Maybe yeah. nobody. Maybe none of his guests want to be on the show with him. Maybe yeah. that's it. Opinions coming at you. Warp Factor Nine. Oh, nice. Okay, I like this. I think. I think this. Uh, I think. I think he should do this. If he's, I believe he's still alive and and kicking. So yeah, yes, he totally yes. is. Yeah. Well, anyways, we should do. Um, <laughs> seeing as we have our own show, we should probably do attendance. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh. First off, uh, host Ron Rongrunson. No, nope. Sorry, no. think you made Ron that one up. Rongrunson. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I did. Uh, should be Aiden Moore. Yep, that is you. And uh, Feldzer Colgate. Nope, no Feldzer Colgate. No Feldzer Colgate. But uh, that is not exactly an anagram for Paul Deschen, but it is Paul Deschen. And that's me. Yeah. I'm a crest man myself. Fair enough. I, I actually, I actually pulled part of that name from a documentary I was watching on uh, on the the atomic bomb. Oh yeah. One of the interviewees was Sterling Colgate, which is a great name. It really is. So we have right, an agenda. On? We do, and what is on said agenda? Well, Aiden, I have some good news. And I have some bad news. Oh, what do you boy, want I, first? I want I want all the news at once in an easily digestible pill form. Uh, I'll take the good news though. Okay, good. 
Good. Because the news has been coming at us like a fire hose since wow. uh, it feels like for freaking ever. So do you mean it's been coming at us like the water from a fire hose or like a fire hose itself? Like the water from a fire hose. Like Mayor Masters okay. took over the job of mayor and then ran a news fire hose to the top of City Hall. And then she invited all of the media to the park in front and she's just been, bla- they, their mouths are open and she's just been blasting them with news fluid since 2020. Mm. That's what, that's what this city council is like. That's, that's very um, descriptive. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so I've got good news fluid and <laughs> I have news bad, bad news fluid. And so I'll let's distill a, some of the good news fluid to start. I'll take a frothy glass of that good news fluid, sir. Excellent. I'll put, I'll put down good money for that good news fluid. Glad to hear it. All right. Well, we actually have two city councils worth, uh, two city council meetings worth of news uh, that we have to catch up on that we haven't covered. Uh, and uh, there's, there was a lot of good stuff in it. And I wanted to start with, and this is a recurring theme, the city got a big pile of money from the federal government. And this is good mm. news. So this happened uh, at the uh, January, no, the January 25th city council meeting. Yeah. Uh, So what happened was uh, during COVID, uh, the cities in Canada started to take a serious bath on uh, a lot of different things that they weren't collecting user fees on anymore. The biggest one was transit. And uh, this, this, was a problem for Regina. We didn't have very many people on the bus. We were collecting very few fares. uh, And yet the buses still had to run because there were people who still needed to get to their jobs. A lot of like service industry people, uh, you know, essential workers need the bus to get to work. So while uh, we did have reduced service for part of the pandemic, uh, we still had the buses running for a lot of it. And uh, we also had to institute a bunch of uh, like the bus drivers are now in little like cubicles, on the bus to protect them from the COVID germs and whatever other germs and just, you know, filth in general. And uh, we also um, had to hire, uh, you know, new crews. Like we had to like clean the buses really well back when we thought that everything, like it was all particulates. We had to like clean the buses uh, after every uh, time they were out. So transit became a lot more expensive. The people who got really hosed by the pandemic, though, are Canada's bigger cities like Toronto and Montreal, places that have like LRT or subway systems. Those uh, have like incredibly high covering uh, carrying costs, and uh, they were just bleeding money. And those are huge line items on their budget. Mm -hmm. So the Federation of Canadian Municipalities had been pushing the federal government to, you know, provide cities with some relief, some like, uh, because, you know, cities across the country, the big cities especially, had these uh, transit shortfalls where they had like, you know, deficits on that line item. And the federal government came through with a bunch of money. And they also, uh, part of the thing that the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, yeah, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities was also raising with the federal government is uh, housing has become a serious problem across the country. More funding is needed for that. So uh, the federal government came out with this transit and housing funding for all the cities. And uh, Regina got, okay, we got $4.65 million uh, to cover our transit operating shortfall from 2019 to 2021. Mm-hmm. And um, that will be going three million dollars. Will be uh, because basically we've already paid all of that. Like we've we've already incurred the shortfall. So getting this money now means that we're able to catch up on some spending that we weren't able to make because we were losing money. So we've got three million dollars that's going to be going to. Uh, a non-vehicular trail system that supports connectivity within the city center, supporting improved safety, improved use, connecting civic infrastructure, and delivering vibrant multimodal transit upgrades for the community. And then there will be another $1.065 million that will be there to support shovel-ready intensification projects. $400,000 will be, oh, this is on top of the $4 million. for the installation and upgrading of transit shelters. 
and installation of concrete pads to improve the accessibility of those transit shelters. Uh, We uh, are a winter city, a windy winter city. Uh, We have a lot of stops that don't have transit shelters. Kind of ridiculous that we don't have more shelters. And some of the shelters that we do have are just kind of like jammed by the side of the road with no connection to the sidewalk. Um, Some of them are in disrepair. So this is going to start to address some of that problem. We've got another million dollars that's going to be going towards uh, infrastructure upgrades and support the development of the new YWCA uh, Center for Women and Families. So this is on the housing side. This is a development in the northern part of Cathedral. It's a four-story building. It's going to include uh, like affordable subsidized housing for women and their families, and it will have like support services, uh, addictions treatment, uh, indigenous uh, cultural uh, elements to it as well. Uh, I think there will be a, a healing lodge and a playground, and I think a daycare as well. So this is a fabulous project that's going into North Cathedral, um, and uh, they've been fundraising for this for a few years. So a million dollars from this will be going to the housing side of that. There's another million dollars going to infrastructure upgrades at the old Taylor Field site to support housing development. So we've been talking about this for what, like, well, We've been talking about it for 10 years, but since this show started, uh, the Taylor Field was part of the RR, uh, the Regina Revitalization Initiative. Uh, it was supposed to be a mixed-use uh, housing development that had like mixed-income housing, uh, affordable housing, and like market housing. It was all supposed to have retail and like other like opportunities for people to like live and work in the same neighborhood. Uh, that work has just never been done. Councils never prioritized it, never put mm-hmm. any money into promoting it or uh, doing the groundwork that's needed so that developers can even start looking at that land as a developable area. So this million dollars is going to be you know, the first few bucks, really, that the city is putting into uh, turning that into a neighborhood in North Central. And then there's $3 million for the purchase of a building, which will be transformed into an Indigenous-led emergency wellness center. Uh, Really not clear on what this is yet. I think this is kind of in the uh, planning stages. It will have uh, a shelter element to it. We do know that from what the mayor said during council. Um, basically, uh, the mayor and said that she had been speaking with the new city manager, Nikki Anderson. And when the possibility of this money was coming up, uh, uh, city manager Anderson talked about how every year we have this desperate need for shelter space. That need is not going away. It's time for us to start looking into building something permanent. So that's what this is going to be. And I think the idea. Again, it's still early days. We don't know what the exact form of this is going to be, but it looks like this will have not just a shelter, but it'll provide a lot of that wraparound care and it'll be indigenous led. Um, so I don't know. This just to me seems like awesome news all around. That's very helpful news. Yes. I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I'm obviously, what's the, what's the phrase? The proof is in the pudding. So we'll, we'll see what happens in, in you know, the next year or two. A hundred percent. The, yeah, this, this is going to roll out over a while. And a lot of this is pretty vague about what it's actually going to look like. No surprise, because we've just got a bunch of money and the planning hasn't actually happened. The one that I think is the most interesting is this $3 million investment for a non-vehicular trail system to support connectivity within the city center. Mm -hmm. Because at the same time that this came out, uh, the city was planning to release their uh, their the next step in the Saskatchewan Drive uh, corridor project. Project is the word I'm trying to say. Project. Um, so the Saskatchewan Drive between uh, Elphinstone and gosh, it's past Winnipeg in the west. I can't remember what street it goes to. But it's basically through Cathedral, through downtown, and into Heritage, uh, Saskatchewan Drive. The underground infrastructure there is near failing. So like the water pipes and stuff. And all of it has to be replaced. And it can't wait any longer. So they've got this plan to like dig up Saskatchewan Drive anyways. And they're going to have to re-pour the whole of it. 
uh, over that stretch. So they, uh, starting a few years ago, this actually started about a year before COVID hit, and then it was kind of delayed. They had their first round of consultations uh, before COVID, and then nothing's happened. Nothing was released until now. And uh, so they've come out with their new uh, drawings of what Saskatchewan Drive could look like. Um, it, you know, kind of looks like what all these things are supposed to look like. They're supposed to look like nice and human centric, and they're supposed to be like, you know, multi-use so that, you know, they're for good for cyclists and pedestrians and for cars. As always, take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, there is a desire to turn this stretch of Saskatchewan Drive into a grand avenue, they're calling it. Because this is like a main thoroughfare that, you know, people who are coming into the city might take Saskatchewan Drive to get to downtown. So they want it to be something with pomp and circumstance that will, uh, you know, really market the city from how wonderful your drive is. So uh, big parts of this are going to be like a meridian on the cathedral, like down the middle of the road on the cathedral and the heritage side. Apparently the road isn't wide enough in downtown for this. Uh, trees on both sides of the street, which it lacks right now, freaking sidewalks because the sidewalks, especially downtown and in the cathedral along Saskatchewan drive are inadequate to say the best to say the mm-hmm. least. And, um, they want to like, sort of like change the focus of the way that like development happens along Saskatchewan drive so that uh, the uses are closer to the street instead of having parking lots in front of them because parking lots just like add, you know, cars pulling in and out of Saskatchewan Drive. And if it's to be a thoroughfare, you don't want people, you know, you want as few access points as possible onto it. Um, And the reason I find that this is interesting in connection to the transit and housing funding is that uh, there's talk of the Saskatchewan Drive corridor project would have a a multi-use pathway along the north stretch. So something wide that would be good for walking and cycling. Something we've been promised since the very first days of the Regina Revitalization Initiative Phase 1, the Mosaic Stadium, was that there would be a pedestrian connection from downtown to the stadium in the real district. And that was supposed to be part of the Mosaic project, and it just never happened. Mm -hmm. So here we are many years later, and I'm wondering, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm wondering if this $3 million dollars from this transit and housing funding won't be used to support the, at least the downtown to real district stretch of this multi-use pathway um, on the North side of Saskatchewan drive, because, you know, the city's always looking for ways to, you know, for money to do double duty, but I guess we'll see. So yeah, those are two things. The um, Saskatchewan drive corridor project, you can take a look at the drawings. I think they look pretty good. Um, the proof will be in the actual like final drawings that we finally see and what happens when they start doing construction, but you can go to beherd.regina.ca. Uh, there's a video presentation that you can watch and there's documents and there's like opportunities there to provide your feedback on the project. Um, I think one thing that people who will look at it will think is, like, what exactly is Saskatchewan Drive supposed to be? Is it supposed to be like, you know, a fast motoring thoroughfare to get you through the city? Or is it supposed to be this Grand Avenue? And I think that's going to be the key point of tension on this. I think a lot of people just want it to be a freeway. Whereas I think the consultants and city planners see it having a much sort of more important role in the city. We're at 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, and we've got more good news. Uh, more? Yeah. I am banjaxed at the at the notion of having two bits of good news, like one right after the other. I'm gonna give you a third. What? Yeah. So this just, this just happened on February 13th. The mayor uh had a press conference, a virtual press conference with Ahmad Hussein, the Minister of Housing and Diversity and Inclusion. And it was to announce $6.6 million in funding from the federal government to support another uh, rapid housing initiative in Regina. 41 municipalities across the country received this funding. 
Uh, we're one of them. And uh, this is going to go to creating at least 25 new units of uh, affordable housing in the city. This is like housing that's supposed to go towards supporting the most vulnerable. The last time this happened, you'll recall, it was, I think, 120 or 210. Can never remember. Uh, Broad Street controversial project there. It was supportive housing for people who are transitioning out of homelessness. Um, the neighborhood there was not super stoked on the idea of, well, they said it was just like men they didn't want living in this building, but uh, it's happening anyways. Uh, the community eventually came around and has uh, begrudgingly accepted that project. We don't know where this new um, $6.6 million project will be going in Regina. We actually, um, we had heard about this at council uh, a few more council meetings ago. Uh, the fact that we were, you know, in the running for rapid housing funding uh, had been announced at council, but the amount of money was uh, embargoed at that point. Only city councilors knew how much money we were getting and when we would be getting it. Uh, but yeah, they had to like, you know, pass some reports to make it, you know, so that the city manager could basically negotiate the reception of this money. We know that uh, the plan going forward will be that um, City Hall will be taking proposals from uh, NGOs within the city uh, for ideas on how to use this money best and what kind of uh, development to build. It could be like a brand new build, a whole new building with 25 units, or they could repurpose a structure that already is, exists, maybe get more than 25 units. We don't know. It all depends on which, which, um, which housing development organization steps up to provide this affordable housing. The one that happened on Broad Street, that was uh, Ritzus and Silver Sage worked together on that with the city of Regina. So, you know, it could be them again, or it could be some other uh, some other group in town like Namarind that does affordable mm -hmm. housing. So this is great, great news. Um, more housing, um, you know, and if these things work out, and this is rapid housing, so we have to get this housing built and opened like I think within like a year or two for this project. And they're already like, you know, doing the work on the uh, previous one on Broad Street. Uh, that one's been a bit delayed. The federal government's okay with it. Uh, but yeah, they're digging holes, getting ready to go out there. And I think, yeah, that has to be ready to go by the end of 2023. I, I am sincerely really happy to hear these things. Cool. Can you handle more good news? Uh, I might sort of have a contusion of some kind if I if I hear more good news like spontaneously like a bruise might form on my head I don't know how that works but it might happen okay uh, yeah well, so bring on I, I I am I am thirsty for more good news fluid right on well I've got some uh the city of Regina passed a uh, unanimously an indigenous procurement policy this has been in the works for a while the uh, city's actually doing like a whole revamp of its purchasing and procurement, uh, you know, rules and regulations. And it was actually inspired by this. Uh, they've been working with indigenous groups to sort of look at ways for the city of Regina to, uh, you know, procure services and uh, material locally from indigenous suppliers. And, you know, this is part of the city's uh, commitment to reconciliation. And uh, the really fantastic thing about this is uh, the goal that the city has set for itself is a 20% minimum requirement. In, in the policy that they've passed, it, it refers to it this way. Uh, the policy requires that the city work toward a minimum of 20% of city procurement contracts be held by indigenous vendors. Uh, the recommended minimum requirement was determined by considering the indigenous population of Regina at 10.3%, and of Saskatchewan at 17% per the Statistics mm -hmm. Canada of 2021, and recognizing that both populations are growing, uh, you know, right. in numbers and as a percentage of the uh, the province. The committee sees 20% as an achievable requirement, more closely representing the population, and more importantly, as a demonstration of meaningful economic reconciliation efforts. Uh, the federal government has an indigenous procurement policy as well, and they've been kind of encouraging uh, other levels of government to do the same. Uh, the, the federal one is only a minimum 5%. The idea being that if it's a minimum, you can do 20 or 25 or whatever. But what uh, the indigenous groups that came to speak at city council pointed out is that what they're seeing is that places that have a 5% minimum 
only ever get to 5%. So they wanted to do something more ambitious. So by setting it at 20%, Regina actually has the most, well, ambitious indigenous procurement policy in the country. That I like. So this is pretty exciting. Now, this is not... Like this isn't basically going to, this isn't like a quota system where if they don't get to their 20%, they start just grabbing whatever vendors are available. Going out to the street and grabbing yeah. vendors. You want to vend? Uh, <laughs> no, I want to, I want to go to the Safely. Too bad. You're vending now. So that's not what's going to happen. This is like oh. a long, well, not a long term. It's more of like a medium term, short to medium term goal that they're aiming towards. And uh, there's a recognition that this is going to involve um, a lot of bridge building between the city and, um, you know, the indigenous business community. And there's going to, you know, there's time going to be required uh, for uh, those, those vendors to sort of like develop and, you know, right. create the sort of like, you know, the networks and the infrastructure that's required for them to be able to provide all the services the city needs. But, you know, hopefully, you know, we're going to start seeing changes immediately, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to get better over the years. And there'll be updates and stuff to see how we're doing over time. But and, and as and as you mentioned, I mean, the demographic of Indigenous people in this province is growing and it's long been known that, you know, that it's going to grow like more. So it's high time that policy reflected that. Exactly. And uh, one of the things that uh, the city talked about is how perhaps a thing that has held back any kind of reconciliation effort on this, um, this element, this procurement element before, is that the city's kind of lacked uh, indigenous people within its own organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that. If you don't have indigenous people who have those connections or even the interest in building the connections to the indigenous community, um, they're just not going to happen. And we know that because we didn't have a policy before and nothing, well, very little was happening. Mm -hmm. An insufficient amount was happening. Uh, the city has been working to uh, hire more indigenous leaders within the organization uh, and put them in you know, positions where they can you know, guide initiatives like this. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it seems like a strong move in a really good direction from our city. But on that note, we are coming up to uh, the Innovative Revenue Tools. Ooh. After which, we will have to turn off the good news tap. Oh, no. But there's only one other tap, and it says bad in big red letters. What's going to happen, Paul? Oh, no. I don't know. We'll go to Innovative Revenue Tools, and then we'll find out when they're done. Salutations to you, Mr. and Mrs. Queen City. This is your news of yesterday, today! Dateline, Friday, February 16th, 1923, from the pages of the Regina Morning Leader newspaper. Headline, Federal Commission to Probe Canada's Grain Trade. Potato growing also included in probe on plea from Maritimes. Formation of a commission to inquire into the grain trade of Western Canada with a view to reaching a permanent solution of the grain marketing problem was moved by John Miller, progressive member of Capel. Mr. Miller declared that the grain marketing situation in the West was far from satisfactory. Numerous allegations of wrongdoing had been made, including an organization of grain buyers in Winnipeg charging. There had been collusion between the grain trade and bonding houses with which the buyers were bonded to keep them in submission. There is more than a suspicion that the farmer is being penalized in many ways when he sells his grain. Go get him, John Miller. Show those Ottawa boys what for. Item! Legislature is again like a happy family. An application yesterday of solved to any wounds which may have been inflicted during the tilts in the Saskatchewan Assembly Tuesday afternoon restored peace and harmony. Peace overtures were opened when Premier Dunning asked the Speaker for a ruling on whether his application of the term unscrupulous to the member for South Capel was unparliamentary. Mr. Dunning conceded it was his opinion that his application of the term unscrupulous to the member for South Capel was probably unparliamentary, even if it was essentially and probably true. Mr. Speaker determined that the word unscrupulous in application to the member for South Capel was indeed unparliamentary and should be withdrawn. 
Mr. Dunning then withdrew his use of the word unscrupulous in application to the member for South Capel, saying, I bow to your ruling, Mr. Speaker. Item! J. Tymon with Carson guilty of beer theft! John Tymon, former employee of the Saskatchewan Liquor Commission, and Harold R. Carson, former representative of the Lethbridge Brewing Company, were found guilty of stealing four loads of beer from a car seized by the Saskatchewan Liquor Commission on the CNR tracks in Regina in the night of December 23rd, 1922. On arraignment, Tymon and Carson were confronted with three counts, the theft of the beer, conspiracy leading to the theft, and with attempting to defraud the Saskatchewan Liquor Commission by substituting beer of a less intoxicating nature. The jury recommended leniency. Ad break! Six months of constipation relieved by Milburn's laxa liver pills. A free motion of the bowels daily should be the rule of everyone. Milburn's laxa liver pills will regulate the flow of bile to act properly upon the bowels, thus making them active and regular. Milburn's laxa liver pills. Price 25 cents a vial at all dealers or mailed direct to you. From CKCK, wavelength 420 meters, it's today's music. Tune in to hear Through the Night Waltz, Deep in Your Eyes Soprano and Tenor, Old Folks at Home Violin Solo, Limehouse Night Saxophone Sextet, Lonesome Mama Blues Foxtrot, Carnival of Venice Banjo Solo. Full music schedule on page 8 of your Morning Leader newspaper. Women's Interest, Society and Fashion page. Have you heard, ladies? Mr. Hopwood is in the city from Dauphin, Manitoba. The Alexandra Club hopes to realize over $100 profit from its Valentine's Dance of Tuesday night. The guests numbered nearly 200. Mrs. J. Lockwood, Miss A. Willows, and B. Manning won the prizes at the Whist Drive and Dance given this week in L. Rose Hall by members of the Department of Municipal Affairs. The tea given by the ladies of the Royal Purple yesterday afternoon in the interests of the TB Fund was pleasurable despite the unpleasantness of the weather. And that was your News of Yesterday Today from the February 16th, 1923 Regina Morning Leader and read to you by the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Now, forward to the future. And we're back from Innovative Revenue Tools. Oh boy, we are back and I, I found myself invigorated, uh, refreshed, and rejuvenated by those tools. Oh, me too. Yeah, we just heard. Yeah. Good news, innovative revenue tools, days fantastic. What, what could what it, more what more could a bureaucrat want? Uh yeah. What what could possibly come up for the rest of this meeting that could, you know, harsh that mellow? Sadly, it is time to go to the bad news spigot. Oh, I knew that one was going to... It was like Chekhov's bad news spigot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which he had installed in his in his villa. So, <laughs> Did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he would say, anybody want some uh, bad news? And they're like, oh, bad news spigot. They would say. That's where we get that, the Chekhov's gun line from. Oh, yeah. It was originally a spigot. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Sadly... It has not been all good news at city council. In fact, it's been kind of like tense, fraught, kind of awful at city council, especially the last meeting on mm. uh, the, the first one of February. As most people are probably aware, well, there was a big lawsuit last year where uh, the whole project now, technically, Councillor Dan LeBlanc was the lawyer on this law. Uh, and it wasn't a lawsuit. It was a, uh, it was a court order, an attempt to get a court order. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the city manager did not include something in the budget that there had been an explicit request from council that had been unanimously voted on to put in the budget. And that was a line item to cover the cost uh, of funding a, you know, an end to homelessness this year. Right. Um, Am- ambitious, laudable. Yep. 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 And, you know, it was one of those things where 
council had voted on it. Uh, Councilor LeBlanc came up with that motion. Dude's a lawyer, made it very explicit what he was going at, going for. Um, he was actually, you know, following a precedent that had been set by Councilors Bershani and Shaw, who had requested putting like a specific line item in the budget previous for uh, accessible uh, funding for accessible recreation stuff. You know, in a lot of ways, none of this should have been surprising to council. Uh, when Councilor LeBlanc, you know, asked during a budget update to make sure that this was going to be in the budget, it had been the ruling of the city, the city manager at the time, the acting city manager, who is the city clerk, had ruled at the time, yeah, this, you know, like it or not, the motion was ex- was very clear. The vote was unanimous. This has to go in the budget as a specific line item. When the budget came out, it was not a line item. It was an appendices. And it was uh, basically an appendices with a very clear sort of like, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a recommendation, but it was pretty clear that administration did not want to fund this line item. Uh, and we're hoping that it could go away. But anyways, it did not get into the budget the way that it was supposed to. So Councilor LeBlanc tried to force the issue by going to the courts and saying, tell the city manager that she has to follow the will of city council and put this in the budget. Uh, The explanation that LeBlanc had at the time was that he went to the courts because this had to be done quickly. There wasn't time to like go to council and like make a notice of motion and then have a motion before the budget came out. But as it turns out, the court wasn't much faster because the court's uh, reply, their decision didn't come out until after the budget process was underway. Um, Yeah. And they came back, the courts came back and said, you know, Councillor LeBlanc, uh, who actually had like enlisted Councillor Stevens and uh, local dynamo Florence Stratton to be the actual like, you know, plaintiffs in this case, um, that LeBlanc and Stevens should have used the tools within City Hall to force this issue. This, this dispute should have been resolved at the City Council level. It wasn't for the courts to decide. So that was their decision. And they awarded... Uh, God, so much background on this. Uh, <laughs> to do this, it was the, the request was to compel the city manager to do a thing. So the city manager had to be named in the court action. Right. So uh, Nikki Anderson was the actual like defendant in the case, and her court costs were awarded to her by the judge. So that's the background. Flash forward to this year. Uh, Mayor Masters at the January 25th council meeting made a notice of motion. And then at the February meeting, it was discussed. Uh, Mayor Masters wanted to uh, take Councillor LeBlanc off of his position on the uh, Community and Social Impact Regina Board. Uh, this is a new organization that's been set up to basically implement uh, implement policies and basically whatever council is doing uh as part of its community wellness policy, this is the organ that's going to be implementing that. And it's a body that's made up of a bunch of different groups within the city, like RITSIS, like the YWCA. Uh, And Councillor LeBlanc, as like this staunch advocate for the homeless and for uh, vulnerable populations, had been appointed as council's representative to that board. And Mayor Masters has uh, brought forward this motion saying he should no longer, because of this court action and uh, because of his behavior, we no longer can trust him on this board. Well, I mean, after all, he did trick the entire council into voting for this, you know, agreeing with this motion in the first place, with his his sly, lawyerly ways of just explaining stuff clearly and repeatedly. Yeah. It's so frustrating because it isn't like, it's almost like when, uh, because Mayor uh, Mayor, uh, Councilor Bershani, she was the one who was saying this at the council meeting when this uh, when this motion to take Councilor LeBlanc off this board. Uh, she did say that, that, you know, he was he, he tricked us. He tricked us with his lawyer tongue. And uh, that's a paraphrase. It's almost like they've they were ignoring the fact that they had like a whole extra discussion of this during the budget update and they went to their city manager, their acting city manager slash city clerk who made a ruling on it and clarified everything. And 
despite that clarification, it just didn't end up in the, uh, the budget. So there's, there's a little bit of, you know, history being rewritten there or just, you know, being ignored a bit of history mm-hmm. that's been ignored. Well, I think they, during that, during that particular, you know, meeting, they, I think the bulk of the counselors just, they forgot themselves and they forgot and they thought that they were there to serve like, you know, the, the citizenry, the, the ones who had elected them and acted accordingly. And now they remembered that's not their job at all. So what what is their job? <laughs> I believe it's to serve the wheels, the, the wheels and, and the, and the gears that, that actually oil up the city with money from above. It's almost like they serve the bottom line. It's almost like they serve the bottom line. That that's their master. Chafing dishes and, and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. But this has been a this has been a problem with with the city of Regina for I don't know all lip memory that I can serve. You know, it's a city where they're like we not only don't serve the actual people of the city, we forgot we don't even seem to think that we can. Mm-hmm. Frankly, we don't seem to think that we can keep up sidewalks, that we can have livable, walkable neighborhoods. Like none of these things are like within the like baked into the division of the city as a corporation and clearly now within council as well. One of the things that Mayor Masters has lamented and Mayor mm-hmm. Fougere lamented this before her is that uh, they haven't. It's almost like they're saying we're not getting enough credit for what we are doing. Right. Well, and obviously they believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, and I think from where they sit, they they see like you know the small changes, the the incremental things, and they say, look, they think that they've accomplished something, and they have. But from the and I and I'm not I'm not calling for for revolution, but I think from from the perspective outside city hall. The, like the like the perspective that actually sees the city itself, uh, it's it's very clear that the that, inc- that the incremental and small changes that seem like large accomplishments because they take time and effort to get done, we we, we can see that these things are are not really that sufficient. At the same time that there's all this talk about, look at all the stuff that we've done. Uh, we have been having regular tent cities in Regina, a northern city with a nasty wind. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's enough homeless people, enough people who are like, their housing is insecure, that they have to take to setting up tents in the winter just to survive. I don't know the long history of this city in great detail. I don't know how long this has been going on for, but it seems that it is a very recent development. I think one of the things that gets forgotten is that as while there are incremental changes for the good, that while city council has approved things like the rapid housing initiative stuff mm-hmm. that we talked about in the first half, uh, like the indigenous led uh, healing center that they're talking about. These are great things. Mama Wayatitan center. These are all phenomenal yep. projects. Absolutely. And all of this incremental change to support people is fabulous. However, there's incremental changes happening in the other direction too. And we are seeing uh, housing prices skyrocketing. We're seeing uh, affordable housing in neighborhoods that have access to transit and services is not being developed fast enough. Um, right. You know, I, I had cause recently to look back at uh, stuff that was happening in the 2000s. Uh, city council approved like a dozen or 20 condominium conversions when the city's vacancy rate was going from 3% down to functionally zero. And mm-hmm. this was going on from between 2007 to 2013. So they took like dozens and dozens and dozens of affordable rental apartments out of the market and turned them into for sale condos that were like upscaled and like, you know, made more expensive. You know, a lot of people were priced out of that market all of a sudden. At the same time, there was like this demand for rental, but the only people who were building rental and Councillor Brashani uh, rails against this constantly, the rentals were being built on the edge of the city. These like big towers of like apartment buildings that people, so people would like move out there where there's no buses mm-hmm. and there's no other services. So these are not appropriate places for people who need like access to the city center and need access to places to work. So, 
these are the kinds of, this is the legacy that we've inherited. And these are the things that are, and, you know, at the same time, like, you know, there was this housing correction where like housing prices like doubled in like a number of years, like all of this stuff happened and we're still facing the reverberations of it. And council was complicit in a lot of the changes that led to this. So yes, we're making incremental progress on one side, but we're also incrementally regressing on the other side and we need to shake that dynamic up agreed i i I propose that maybe they could have like a definitive line in the sand like an item that they could put on a line somewhere something that would actually be like a, a bar that that in order to cross you know or you'd have to actually you know direct policy towards towards you know serving that line in the sand um I, I i i'm trying to make my my metaphor clearer but i'm afraid i can't it's just it's just completely on the nose at this point i think yeah you know so i i don't i don't envy city council I mean, mm-hmm. or or anybody in the city for trying to you know represent constituents and run what is essentially a large business you know a corporation mm-hmm. <laughs> with people serves people in it uh it's 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 going to be and you're never going to have everybody satisfied uh but what we do i think for the least of 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 us is is how how we should be remembered and right now i'm not sure that we're being that we're worthy of being remembered very well just to throw a wrench into that um one thing one thing i've been thinking about is the scott mo factor yeah yeah. What, one thing that uh, we have seen a little bit of with this council is that when council steps out of line, as with the sponsorship motion, uh, the provincial government is quite happy to smack the municipal government down. When we tried to pass our own emergency measures that went further mm-hmm. than the province to deal with COVID, the province smacked us down. We have a provincial leader who I think is always on the lookout for red meat. Mm -hmm. Uh, to throw to his base. I think that if we lived on another timeline where uh, city administration had recommended a 12% rate increase to cover the cost of funding an end to homelessness, that would have angered a certain constituency within the city so extremely and a constituency (laughs) that has Scott Moe on speed dial. Mm -hmm. And I think that the very next day, uh, there would have been a very, very pointed tweet from uh, from the provincial government. And I think it would have been followed up with, this provincial government has the power, like any provincial government, to disband a city council, um, to basically step in and say, yes, you can say you're going to do this, but no, you're not going to. And yeah. they can they can they can turf a city council if they want. They've done that to rural municipalities in Saskatchewan before uh, for you know issues of corruption. Uh, I think that we would have seen things go very badly for this city council if they had tried to make a massive mill rate increase to fund housing. So you know, on the one hand, one hundred percent agree that. Uh, Incremental change isn't working, uh, but at the same time, uh, the political dynamics of this province, I think, are working against us. I, I agree. Yeah, there, there's, and our, our the city's control and and powers are are limited. I'm being a little pie in the sky, a little bit idealist. Sure, but I I, I see nothing wrong with some idealism to counter uh, these sort of the the, the pragmatism that forecloses vision rather than expands it. In fact, I'd like to see a politics uh, in this city of pragmatism that actually allows for an expansion of the vision of what we can do for people rather than says, oh, no, it's too complicated. It's all going to be ruled by money or or the province. Although, yeah, the province does can. Have we seen, we've seen them close down, like you say, on the powers of the city before. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think Scott Moe sees urban municipalities like as as partners there's mm-hmm. factions that he likes in them but overall i think he sees them as small potential threats to his hegemony uh and you know and there's only so much you can do <laughs> with, with yeah. that with that in mind um yeah. but yeah I, I would like to i'd like to see i would like to see something that says we we can work within these limits but instead of saying that what we can't do let's 
let's focus in more and be more expansive. Yeah. <laughs> he said, sitting at his chair, <laughs> affecting nothing. I think if Mayor Masters wants to be remembered as, you know, uh, for the progress that she's helped accomplish mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, vulnerable populations, and I think she has done good work on that score. Um, I think she's done a terrible job of communicating that. And mm-hmm. um, she has not, there was a, an enormous movement developed around this notion of uh, funding an end to, to homelessness. And she, as far as I know, did not engage in a friendly, open manner with that movement. And I think that um, no. that may be biting council in the butt right now. Mm-hmm. And that's something we've seen in the past with other issues where council hasn't engaged with squeaky wheels, squeaky progressive wheels that want to go forward. And uh, it, it, it ends up frustrating and making them look bad. And I think that if uh, I, I think that um, it would be nice to see some uh, bridges being uh, built and some wounds closed. But well, the tenor of the last council meeting, where it was voted, Councillor Dan LeBlanc is off this board. Uh, the, the bridges between uh, certain city councillors are about as likely to get built as the bridge between downtown and the warehouse district. Oh, snap. I saw that coming. I, <laughs> Sorry about that predictable. Like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> no, no, you, you were being capricious, but, uh, but I thought that was too good. That was too good to pass up. So there you go. You know what? Uh, we were going to run some audio clips. Um, we are fast running out of time, but I've posted a bunch of clips from this council meeting. I've got uh, Mayor Masters talking about these harassing comments uh, and about the legal harassment that Cindy Anderson feels that she has experienced. Uh, I also have Dan LeBlanc's uh, argument for why he should remain on that council. And I have Mayor Masters with her argument for why Dan LeBlanc should have to step down or, you know, be forced off. Um, the clips are in total about 13 minutes. There's two five-minute, one three-minute clips. They're on my uh, YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash at PD City Hall. So it's the same at as I use for my live tweeting for City Council. And you can find those video clips there, along with a whole bunch of other video clips from various other controversies and, uh, you know, excitement that's happened at City Council. And listen to it, you know, judge for yourself uh, what, um, you know, our mayor and Councillor LeBlanc have had to say on this. Excellent. So how are we doing for time? Well, we are, uh, you know, about two minutes out from the time locks opening. So we should probably go to adjournment. All right, then I move to adjourn. I second that motion. The motion is passed. You've been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. Okay, that's all. That's all I'm going to do with that voice. Uh, I am Aiden Morgan. My co-host is Paul Deshen. Uh We are broadcast live, not live precisely, for Thursday evenings, 7 to 8 p.m. Rebroadcast Monday afternoons, 3 to 4 p.m. You can find us at cjtr.ca as well. Also, uh, Twitter at Queen City IB and our website, queencityib.com. What is the web address, Paul? I always forget. Queencityib.com. It is Queen City. You're right. Yep. All right. Well, I should, I should forget more often because I forget it correctly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, after this, there's programming and music all through the night. That's it. Keep on improving, Regina. Mm-hmm.